Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. Somebody in a throne room could with an instant reshape their lives. And it led some of them to fear. It led some of them to compromise. It led some of them to say, you know what, we don't even know how much time we have. Let's enjoy life. That's why Revelation 4 gives us a throne room and one on the throne, but an utterly different kind of throne room with an utterly different king sitting there. is a different kind of ruler than you're going to find in any kingdom of man. Men who seek office and take it are often the furthest thing from servant-like. Their decisions are almost always tempered by the question of whether it's going to serve them and their agendas well or not. You would never find them washing the feet of even their closest friends. As Pastor Ricky continues our study in the book of Revelation, he'll remind us how different Jesus is and how differently he rules over our hearts. Now let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Revelation chapter 4 as he begins his message, The Citadel at the End of Time. Revelation structure is a little bit like a roller coaster, all right? So Revelation 1 through 5 is the click, 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 click part, right? Revelation 4 is we are almost there and it turns to clacks, click, click, clack, 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 clack. And then Revelation 5 next week, we're going to start flying, okay? But before we get there, we need to set the stage for the drama to unfold in chapter 5. And it's critical to remember that Revelation was written uh, not to a bunch of guys with conspiracy boards laid out in their basements, but Revelation was written to churches, to seven churches in Asia Minor, and, and keeping those people in mind helps us keep Revelation aimed where it's supposed to be aimed. Revelation is not just supposed to be aimed at our heads. Revelation is aimed at our hearts. And so when you get to know the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, you'll begin to understand why Jesus encourages them the way that he does. Now, if you are a Christian living in Asia Minor in one of these seven churches, uh, your reality, your life would be driven in large part, by what people in throne rooms decreed over you, okay? There were a number of provincial rulers and kings in Asia Minor, governors, Roman governors. And so when they issued a decree, and, and you imagine this decree coming from a, 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 you know, this is where all the money was, right? Uh, that, that, that they wanted to impress people, so you'd go up a little stair, and there'd be another stair, and you'd keep going up, and there'd be a long hallway, and then this guy would be at the end, Right? And what he decreed from the throne would affect your life. All the way to uh, the Roman emperor himself, the Caesar himself, right? Caesar's authority was everywhere. Symbols of his authority were everywhere. Even the coins you used had pictures of Caesar. There were busts of Caesar everywhere. It's a very Roman, colonized Roman area in Asia Minor. And the Christians at this time, beginning to feel persecution from multiple sides, were extremely aware that somebody in a throne room could with an instant reshape their lives. And it led some of them to fear. It led some of them to compromise. It led some of them to say, you know what? We don't even know how much time we have. Let's enjoy life. That's why Revelation 4 
gives us a throne room and one on the throne, but an utterly different kind of throne room with an utterly different king sitting on it. This is God's word. Revelation 4, verse 1. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. This is God's word. At the center of the universe, there is a throne. This picture in Revelation 4 is that throne, and the one seated on the throne is the one around whom and in whom and through whom everything is ruled, everything exists. But the challenge in our lives is this, that the, the way I'm going to sum it up is, is using this language. In the, at the center of each of our hearts and lives, there is another throne. The, the, and, and what I mean by that is there is something or someone that functionally rules and reigns over us, that what, what reshapes our lives, whether it's a relationship, a pursuit, whether it's, it's something over us like an employer or, a, or you know, the, the forces of inflation or, or whatever it may be that, that we feel that, that the defining reality of our lives, that the reality of our lives is defined by whatever is sitting on that throne. And so the key question Revelation 4 asks us is this, is the one on the throne, at the center of the universe, sitting on the throne of your life? That's the question. 
Now, three sections today. The first is the throne at the center of the universe. Now, remember, as we went through these images, remember what we said a couple weeks ago, that these images, these pictures in Revelation are not to obscure the real meaning. It's not as though we got to dig through these weird pictures to find the kernel of you know, truth. No, these pictures are meant to help us see the true meaning. In other words, if, if I say, hey, a lady came in and she had brown hair, that's a true statement. If I say a lady came in and her eyes were like ice, you're like, okay, I get that. That actually helps me see better. I don't care that she had brown hair. I care about what's going on. Why her eyes like ice, right? Similarly, the pictures in Revelation 4 are helping us to glimpse in image what's at the end of the limits of human language. So what is revealed? Well, verse two says that, behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Now, the structure of Revelation as we walk through this, we'll, we'll, it's gonna, there's gonna be lots of twists and turns as we study Revelation, but David Helm has a simple way to keep track of where you are in Revelation and to, to understand the section of Revelation you're in. Um, and that is by looking at the appearances of Christ. So Revelation 1, this person walking among the lampstands appears, and then chapters 2 and 3 are the lampstands, the churches among whom he's walking, right? In Revelation 4 and 5, you see the, the, the throne, and then next week, the lamb together, and that shapes the, the, the tumultuous next period of the bowls of wrath and things that are being poured out on the earth in Revelation 6 to 11. And then perhaps in Revelation 12, there's a picture of a lion, and a lion, a dragon, a woman, and a child, which is Christ, and that kind of shapes the cosmic warfare section of Revelation. And at the very end, Jesus, the white on the right, white horse, appears, comes, defeats evil finally, and ushers in the new heavens and the new earth. So each section, the, the appearance of God, the, the glimpse of God and of Christ specifically shapes what comes next. So what shapes this next section of Revelation? It is this. The, above the turmoil and chaos of chapters 6 through 11, we need to see chapters 4 and 5, and we need to see above the chaos of the earth, there sits a throne and one seated on the throne, and that one is exercising his authority and rule without difficulty, without challenge upon the earth. Now, what can we glean here from the, what, what this, this one on the throne is like? For verse three uses this very vivid picture. He who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Now, if you read into Revelation, you can get a good commentary. I recommend Beale or Johnson, among others. If you read into the commentaries of Revelation, some are like, okay, well, this is what Jasper was in the ancient world, and here's the modern equivalent, and here's what I think it means, and here's where it pops up in Scripture. And there are surely variations and shades of meaning here. But, but don't lose the forest for the trees, right? Step back a little bit. What's this image meant to evoke? It meant, it's meant to evoke with these precious gemstones, sparkling, reflecting, color, color shining through emerald, perhaps being the brightest of the stones with the clearest color, all of that. And then around the throne is this swirl of rainbow and, and color. And, and, and John gets to the limits of his human language and says, had the appearance of an emerald? You know, you can feel John trying to write this down. Like, how, how, do, I, how do I capture this? What we're meant to see is something dazzling, 
I remember a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to uh, Spain with my dad on a family heritage trip, and one of the things we saw in Spain was La Sagrada Familia, the, one of the, the greatest architectural wonders of the world. It's this church that has been under construction for 100 years, one of the most beautiful, ornate churches on the outside, but you enter the inside, and it's, it's actually very minimal. It's not filled with statues and things, and it's just this great cavernous space. It looks like almost organic in these shapes, that almost like a giant trees are holding up the, the, the roof. And one of the unique features of this cathedral is that in the morning, all the stained glass on the side facing the morning sun has morning light colors, like blue, green, light yellow, so that as the sun rises, the entire interior of the space is washed in color. And then in the afternoon, the stained glass on this side is, is all afternoon sun colors. It is oranges, reds, deep yellows, so that as the sun shines in, it washes the church again in color. I've never seen anything like it. John is saying, kind of like that, question mark. What we're meant to hear, get to get here is that this throne is dazzling. It is awe-inspiring. It is jaw-dropping. The beauty of the one on the throne is indescribable. Take 100,000 of the brightest diamonds of earth, it's inadequate. Take the cathedrals and the stained glass of earth and shine light through them across this place, and it would be inadequate. The one on the throne is dazzling in beauty. And then verse four, we read around the throne, we're 24 thrones, and see that, you know what, before we go on to that, I, I wanna do something here. I, I'm gonna change something from the first service because I think you need this earlier in the text to make sense of what comes later. That there was one more detail in chapter three that around the throne was a rainbow. Now, you could say, okay, well, that he's just grabbing, you know, images. I do think the specificity of the rainbow is important in the context of the entire Bible. Anybody want to venture a guess as to where we see the rainbow in the, in the Bible? Somebody, come on. Come on, Sean. Yes, in Genesis. The whole, we all know the Noah and the Arky Arky and, you know, and, and they get off the, the ark. But remember, God sees, he looks down and humanity is exposed and the darkness of our heart is exposed and he sees only sin and evil continually and he wipes away the sin and injustice and evil in his judgment but preserves in his kindness the remnant of humanity, Noah and his family, and makes a covenant with this family and so that, and the covenant is symbolized in the rainbow, right? And so, Here's the notable thing. That rainbow in Genesis symbolizes God's mercy, God's faithfulness, and God's covenant promise. So not only is he beautiful, he's merciful. He's faithful. Imagine, as it were, that God himself on the throne is wrapped in mercy and covenant faithfulness. That makes us go, oh, yes, yes. But then, verse four, around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. What does that mean? Why are these people here? Well, remember in Revelation, numbers are significant, but not in like Bible code wave significant. It's not like you gotta count every third word and then read them backwards and they spell out Vladimir Putin. And you're like, there it is, there it is. No, 
They, they're, they're numbers from Scripture, right? And, and 24 is 12 times 2, and we know the number 12 is significant, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles. Uh, G.K. Beale says this, it seems best to see these, as, these, these elders as angelic beings representing the church as a whole, including the saints in the New and Old Testaments, meaning, as it were, like the Old and New Testaments, it's 12 and 12, Together, that's the gathered people of God. They're representative. I don't think they are the people of God, but they're representative of the people of God. But notice something. These are angelic, powerful beings. They sit on thrones. They have crowns, right? Again, if we encountered any one of these beings, we would do what John does repeatedly through the rest of Revelation and fall on our face in fear and terror. And yet, these rulers, these powerful beings, they are in deference to the one on the throne. They're not co-ruling with the one on the throne. They are in deference to him. Verse five, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. And before this throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Now you might be gone if you've just learned about the Trinity. You're like, I thought there were only three, now there's seven, what's happening? It's okay. Number seven, the number seven in the Bible, is used to symbolize completion. And so the seven spirits of God is a, is a almost colloquial way of saying the spirit of God in all of his fullness is there. But what is it like to be with the Lord there in the fullness of his spirit? Look, sometimes I think Christians uh, over and almost exclusively emphasize the, the kind parts of God, the, the parts we most relate to, the if I could say, I'm, I'm running a risk here, but hear what I'm saying, the, the teddy bear parts of God, you know, where it's like, I just want God's mercy and I want to just hold it and it makes me feel better, which is true. God is merciful. God does embrace us. God puts his hand on John's shoulder, but we need a full and complete picture of the character of God. And the full and complete picture of the character of God is not only that he is wrapped in mercy and covenant faithfulness, but at his throne, there is lightning, there is rumbling, there is thunder. Now, where do we see God's presence surrounded by lightning, smoke, thunder? Exodus. Somebody said Exodus. That's it. After they, they escape from Egypt, God says, I'm going to reveal myself to you. And so they're surrounding Mount Sinai, and God comes to rest on the mountain. And on this mountain, lightning, thunder, power, and the direction is given to God's people. Do not come near it. Do not even touch it, lest you die. The unfiltered, unveiled presence of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm like, okay, I've seen thunderstorms, I've seen lightning. I, I'm, as a 21st century Christian, not impressed by the thunder and lightning. Well, so much of that is because every time there's thunder and lightning, we get to sit in a nice house and, you know, and we're like, oh, look, it's thundering. Or driving a car that's climate controlled, and it's like, oh, it's raining, I'm gonna turn the air up a little bit here, you know? It's like, whatever. But a few years ago, I was driving down a steep incline uh, as I, we, we were going home, uh, Jen and I, we're driving down a steep incline, and as we're driving down, it, it was pretty thundery. I mean, thundery to the point that I'm like, it actually might not be safe to drive right now. This is kind of crazy. And as we're driving down, we, we kind of had an incline. We could see into people's yards and things. As we're driving down, a boom, unlike any boom I've ever experienced. I experienced it twice in my life. One is that when lightning hit the neighbor's house across the street, and I thought my windows are gonna break. And this time, when the boom hits, 
to where every, you know, inch of your body goes tense because you think this might be it. And in that instant, hearing the boom, I saw, I've never, this never happened to me in another context, where a bolt of lightning came down and hit a power line in someone's backyard. The power line explodes. That's the only words I could use. It explodes and sparks from the power line fly into all the yards around it. And one yard, this is in you know, summer, one yard, there's like a two-second delay, and I'm not kidding, whoom, fire. And I just remember every muscle in my body is tense, my palms are sweaty, my mouth gets dry. We get to the bottom of the hill. Jen and I have not said anything. I look at her and say, should we call someone about that? And, and she just kind of looked back at me and we, we, we like literally, we're just in shock. So for another 20, 30 seconds, we're driving. We drive p- past the fire station. The lights of the fire station come on. This car, come, like you could see them like racing down. And they're like a minute later, they're racing up the streets. So we're like, okay, I think they are aware. And I don't know if in my life I have ever felt so exposed and vulnerable, realizing that in an instant, I could be vaporized from the sky. God is robed in mercy. He is dazzling in beauty. But he and his power are unmatched in the universe. He comes with sonic cosmic booms and lightning that splits the sky. This is who God is. And then verse six, this detail. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass-like crystal. Now, throughout the Bible, the sea is often pictured as chaotic and dangerous, right? It's the realm of the Leviathan. The storms rage in many places in Scripture. Um, and in Revelation, the sea is especially bad. In the book of Revelation, nobody wants to hang out on the beach because that's where scary beasts with horns come out and rule the world. So if you like going to the beach, stop. I'm just kidding. You can go to the beach. But in the imagery of Revelation, the beach is not like, hey, let's go down to the seaside and see what... No, that's a beast coming out of the sea. We're going to go back. Revelation 6 through 11, there's going to be all this raging tempest and storms, all of this stuff. The, The world feels like a raging sea, pictured as a raging sea in some cases. And yet, before the throne, all of the raging tempest oceans of the earth are silent and still before the rule and reign of God himself. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. There's much more that Pastor Ricky would like to share with you, but we've run out of time for today. This has been another edition of Better News Radio, a ministry of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. Pastor Ricky will continue teaching from the book of Revelation next time. For more information about this ministry or about what you've heard today, feel free to send us an email at radio at crossofgraceradio.com. If you'd rather make a phone call, you can do that too. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. 
we'd be happy to help you. Again, that number to call is 915-562-7100. You can also learn more about Better News Radio, Cross of Grace Church, and Pastor Ricky at our website, betternewsradio.com. All of Pastor Ricky's messages through the Bible are available to listen or download for free at betternewsradio.com. Look under the radio tab. If you notice and click on the church tab, you'll also find contact information, driving directions to the church, and details about activities and upcoming events. You'll find all of that at betternewsradio.com. We also encourage you to look us up on Facebook to find some encouraging content for your newsfeed. That's all the time that we have for today, but thanks again for listening. From all of the production team here at Better News Radio, we want to say how happy we are that you took the time to hear from God's Word today. Make plans to learn more from Revelation next time on Better News Radio.